Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you've had a great uh, Christmas holiday and enjoyed time with family. Kids, I hope you're enjoying all your gifts. I asked uh, the Sims family if they got everything they want, and Grant said he got everything except a bow and arrow. But other than that, it was good, right? I know that uh, kids are having fun with that, and I hope parents have recovered for any late-night assembly that might have been required. Um, I brought this up here because uh, Grant is, my youngest, is a big fan of Legos, and uh, this is uh, Chase McCain. There's a mere 50 pieces in that little piece of equipment right there. Our masterpiece was the Black Pearl, 840 pieces. It was amazing. We put over a thousand different pieces of Lego together over the Christmas holidays and had a great time doing it. So it was a lot of fun. But we all have uh, memories of time together with family. Our Christmas got a little sweeter. Mark mentioned last, uh, just a few minutes ago, that the Goffs are in town, Philip and Kendall and their family. And we're so glad to see them. That's a great uh, gift for us to be able to spend time with them during the holiday. And I know that's part of what we enjoy this time of year is just getting together with friends and family and enjoying time with each other. So I hope that's been true for you. Well, now as we kind of turn our attention from Christmas gifts and things like that, we start to think about the new year, don't we? And probably all of us, to some degree, uh, begin to consider and ask questions about maybe what this next year might have in store. And one of the things that I've thought about and wondered is, is whether or not we will have as many of those apocalyptic predictions as we've had in recent years. There's been a lot, hasn't there? Of course, December 21st rolled right by. That was supposed to be the end of the world according to the Mayans. Uh, You'll remember back to 1999, that's when Nostradamus thought that the world would end. Uh, Of course, a lot of us thought that if the world didn't end, it'd be somewhat chaotic at Y2K. That didn't quite happen like a lot of people expected. But even now, there's still a lot of things going on in our world, aren't there? Uh, wars and rumors of wars, and I think it's fair to say that there's still a great amount of uncertainty about what our future holds. And so, personally, I think those uh, questions and predictions will continue. The, the question for us as believers is, what is our response to all those questions as we live during such a time of uncertainty? What is our message of hope? During uncertain times, what do we cling to when the framework of our society starts to fail? Well, I think the prophet Isaiah answers that question for us from a context that was similar to ours in that it was a time of great uncertainty for God's people. And so we're going to look at what he had to say and and consider how that applies to us in our world today. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do come to you this morning uh, praying that you, by that light that Bill spoke of, uh, enlighten our hearts so that we can see and know what is true and be transformed by that truth in a way that gives glory to your most precious and holy name. May you be lifted high above all things this morning as our Emmanuel, God with us, the promise of deliverance found in in you, Jesus Christ, our Savior. May that be where our heart is set this morning. And we pray this in that name, the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Well, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 7, and, and uh, we're going to flip around a little bit. We'll keep coming back to Isaiah, so kind of keep your finger there as we go to other verses. As you do that, let me give you a little context of the book of Isaiah so that what he has to say will make sense. Uh, Isaiah lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And at this point in time in Israel's history, uh, it was not a, a pretty time. This is uh, not something that, that we're proud of in the history of Israel because at this time, the people of God had now divided themselves into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was known as the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was known as the kingdom of Judah. And they were not friends with one another. In fact, they were enemies. And at this particular time, in the words that we will read from Isaiah, the northern kingdom, Israel, had actually formed an alliance with the Bible calls Aram. We know that as today, modern-day Syria. So the northern kingdom, Israel, had formed an alliance with Syria, and they were threatening to attack Judah and overcome them. And so this is the, the setting that, that exists. And, and as you might expect, the people were fearful. In fact, if you'll look at uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2, you'll see that. It says, When it was reported to the house of David, that's Judah, saying, The Arameans have capped, camped in Ephraim, his heart, that being the king, and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake in the wind. Good, good visual picture, isn't it? Uh, of what they felt in the midst of this uncertainty as this two-king alliance literally stood on their doorstep ready to attack and overcome Jerusalem. But God speaks to the prophet Isaiah to this people of Judah and to the king of Judah specifically, his name is Ahaz, to comfort them so that they would know that what threatens them would not overtake them. And if you will, look at verse 5 and read with me as Isaiah speaks. He says, because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah has planned evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up for the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God. Here it is. It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. Those first verses recount what had to be the rumor of the day, that these two kings were standing outside the doorstep of Judah. They were ready to take over. And God essentially says, I know what everybody's saying. I know what the rumor is. But what I want you to know, people of Judah, is that it will not happen. There's lots of predictions about what your future holds, but you need to know, people of God, that I hold your future in my hands. Trust in me. I will be your deliverance. So this is the setting that, that Isaiah then speaks into as he is a prophet speaking on behalf of God. As you might imagine, the people were living in some spirit of fear and, and concern about what their future holds. One of the things that we know about the king Ahaz, despite this promise given to him by God, he kind of goes behind the scenes and starts to form an alliance with a greater kingdom known as Assyria. That should sound familiar. In hopes that if God's promise doesn't work, he's got a backup plan. 
So he's not exactly putting his trust in the Lord, setting an example for the people who are under him. And this uncertainty prevails among the people. And so God speaks to them saying, trust me, I will deliver you. But he knows that the hearts of men are weak, like you and I. And it's difficult sometimes when there's so much going around us that tells us one thing to to really hold firm to what we hear from God himself. And so he says, I'll give you a sign, a sign that what I'm telling you will be will happen will, in fact, be true. Look at chapter seven, verse 13, chapter seven, verse 13. He said, then he said, this is Isaiah speaking. Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold. A virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. In the context of that passage, there's some verses that sound familiar, don't they? Especially during this time of year. In fact, if you would, go over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Keep your hand in Isaiah because we'll come back. But Matthew chapter 1. We read this section of Scripture very often uh, during this time of year, and it says this, beginning in verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Speaking of Mary, to whom he was engaged. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and he, you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, we know to be Isaiah, might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So Matthew looks back at that promise made through Isaiah and says, It is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ conceived by the work of the Holy Spirit as that promised deliverer. But I think it's at least possible that not only was it fulfilled in that time through Christ, but perhaps there was something in Isaiah's time as well that was relevant to their context also. In fact, if you go back to uh, Isaiah, we'll look at that together. Isaiah chapter 7. I should have kept my finger there. Isaiah chapter 7. There are three things that I want to point out that he mentions in this sign that would be given to Ahaz as a promise of what would take place in God's protection. He says in verse 14 that I will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child and bear a son. So the first thing we know is that a virgin will be with a child. That, that term translated virgin in the original Hebrew text is literally a, a young woman of marriageable age. It implies virgin, but does not necessarily require it. 
So it's possible that what he's doing is he's pointing to a woman not yet married that will have a son. And she will name that son Emmanuel. And there are some things about this son as he grows that are important. And we see those in verse 15. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. That's relevant to their circumstances because curds and honey are rations during times of distress. Like when you're going to war. Like what's happening in the context that Isaiah speaks. He goes on and gives a third criteria. And he says, for before the boy is old enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. So remember, he promised, they are threatening you, but they will not overtake you. I'll give you a sign. Here's what the sign's going to look like. And when this happens, you'll know that that two-king alliance that now threatens you will ultimately be destroyed. And from history, that's exactly what happened. They never attacked Judah because the two-king alliance fell apart and the destruction never came except for those people. So the sign proved that what God said was true. Let me clarify. There's only one virgin birth, okay? Mary conceived by the work of the Holy Spirit and born from her was that promised deliverance, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But very possibly there were things happening in the time of Israel that were consistent with the sign spoken of that gave them hope as well. Because it's important to understand that what Jesus... What Uh, Isaiah is saying to the people on behalf of God is trust me now in the circumstances in which you live but also have hope of a future deliverance. I am your God and I am with you now and I am with you always. (laughs) We go on and, and hear more about this promise. In fact, if you look at verse or chapter 8, he speaks of another child that will be born and says of this child in verse 4, before this boy knows how to cry out, my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Again, what's happening here is God is giving them signs to validate the promise that he's made, that he will protect them and that he is with them. We know that this is actually what happened too, because the destruction of that alliance came when Assyria overtook the northern kingdom and those people were dispersed and and Assyria ruled in the north just as God promised it would happen. But all along, he's speaking to the people of Judah and he's saying, trust in me, I am with you. I will be your deliverer. Look over at verse 12 of chapter 8. It says, you're not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you're not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. What he's saying is, listen, there's lots of stuff that's going to be going on around you. There's going to be lots of rumors and talk about what's happening. You need to trust me. Look at verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear. And he shall be your dread. Look at verse 16. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord have given me are for signs and wonders in Israel. From the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Now listen to this. 
And when they say to you, consult the mediums, mediums and, and the spiritists and, and, and whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? And here's the key, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. What he's saying is God has spoken. And if what you hear is not consistent with his word, it is from the darkness. It does not bear the light of God. Do not pay attention. Listen only to my words. He will then go on to talk more specifically in chapter 9 about this promise of a future deliverance. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. He says, but there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Once again, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the context of what they know to be true. And to the north of them is a dark, dark place. That kingdom of Israel stands poised to attack them. After that, the kingdom of Assyria will come in. An evil, corrupt, pagan people. It's a dark, dark place. But Isaiah says there will be a day when what you now see as darkness will be filled with light. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Just now when he heard that John had taken, his, taken into custody and he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region... <laughs> Does this sound familiar? Of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death upon them, a light had dawned. Once again, Matthew looks back to that promise made by Isaiah and says, it has been fulfilled today in your presence. That light is the light of Jesus Christ, our promised deliverer and Savior. He is the one. As John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And His life was the light of men, and that light has shined in the darkness. What was then filled with darkness would one day see the light of Christ. Trust that I am with you now and hope that I will be your deliverer yet future. Now look at verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Goes on to give more details and says, For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Let let me just pause there and and clarify what's being said. He says, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. 
Who is Isaiah speaking to? Judah, right? He's speaking to the the people of Judah. He said that the government will rest on his shoulders. And if you are living in the context of that culture, you would immediately think king. And when you think king to the people of Judah, you immediately think King David. And you think of the promise that God made to King David of that throne that will live eternally. And we see that promise fulfilled. Look at verse 7. He alludes to this. He says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Prophet Isaiah looks to the future when that deliverer will come in the line of David to fulfill that promise made by God. Look at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph and of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Does that sound familiar? Once again, the gospel writer is looking back to the promise made by God through the prophet Isaiah and says that Jesus is the promised deliverer. And just so there's no mistaking, he gives character qualities of this promised Messiah. We talked about that on Christmas Eve. You'll see it in in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, in that second part, where it says, His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That idea of counselor, as we've already mentioned, is the idea of somebody who gives you guidance during a dark time in your life. We've all received counsel for somebody when, when it's hard for us to see our way out of something. And somebody with perspective steps into our life and says, let me help you. Now, they can't make the decisions for you, but they can show you the way. And that's why Jesus comes in and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Follow me, and I will lead you out of darkness into my marvelous light. He is the mighty God. Not somebody who just tells us about God, but God who reveals himself to us. As we've mentioned before, that that verse in Hebrews that says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. When you see Jesus, you see God because Jesus is God. 
He dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. He is the eternal Father. As we've learned in our study of Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. You see, God guarantees His promise of deliverance by becoming personally involved. That's why He goes on to say through Paul, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, speaking of Jesus, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Kind of a side note, there's an interesting uh, verse in Acts that speaks back to this sacrifice made on the cross on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. Paul is actually speaking to the elders in the, the, from the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says in verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 28. Just listen. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherd to shepherd the church of God, now listen, which he purchased with his own blood. That was God incarnate who hung on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, which is why he is called the Prince of Peace, the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is our Emmanuel, the promised Deliverer, God with us. And if, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus then takes and fulfills that promise as validated through the testimony of the Scriptures. And then He, with His own words, expands on that promise in ways that not even Isaiah could have imagined. It gets even better, if you can believe that. And I want you to see what that looks like. So turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Jesus is nearing uh, the time whenever He will in fact make that sacrifice on the cross. And this is His prayer before that time comes. Look at verse 20 of John chapter 17 and listen to what He says. Jesus speaking says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, speaking of His disciples, but for those also who believe in Me through their testimony or through their word, that's you and I. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may be perfected in unity that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. See, this is what we learned in Colossians. Remember when Paul said that there has been this mystery hidden from past generations that has now been revealed to us. Do you remember what it was? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that has been revealed not only is god with us in the person and work of jesus christ but he now dwells in us through the power of the holy spirit christ in you the hope of glory 
You see, this is that hope that we have during times of uncertainty. This is the truth that we cling to when the fabric of our society starts to fail. Christ in you, the hope of glory, our Emmanuel. It's an amazing truth. And and so as you take time, as we normally do during this time of year, to, to look forward to the new year, and a lot of times, I think in a good way, we start to set priorities for ourselves and and think about things we might want to do this coming year to grow in our relationship with the Lord and our walk with Christ. And and as you do that, let me give you some things to consider based on what we've looked at together this morning. The first is this. Look at what God has done to be with you and ask yourself, what am I doing to be with Him? Look at what God has done to be with you and ask yourself, what are you doing to be with him? See, we have to protect ourselves from this mistake that we can find ourselves in where we know a lot about this person, but we don't know them personally. And we run into that in our life where we have people that we respect or admire or look up to, musicians, say, for example, and and maybe you go to a concert and you can see them. They're on the stage in front of you and you know all about their life, but you've never actually met that person. You really don't know who they are. And we can find ourselves in a similar place where we're always in the presence of of God in the sense that He's always around us. We, We come to church and we're involved in religious activities, but we've never actually met with Him. Never been with Him face to face pursuing that relationship one on one. What's keeping you from being near Him? And and I'll tell you, it may cost you something to create space in your life to spend time pursuing an intimate walk with Jesus Christ. But when you can consider that cost, think of the sacrifice made for that to even be possible. For you to be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Knowing that you have grace and help in a time of need. And so my encouragement to you, as you set priorities and goals for this coming year, that number one on all of our lists, mine included, should be to spend more time with Christ. Draw near to Him. And He promises He draws near to you. And I hope that what you've seen through the testimony of Scripture this morning, that He has gone to great lengths to make sure we understand that He is with us, that He is in us, and He is our Deliverer. Knowing the the truth about Christ, knowing who He is, really makes that lukewarm response irrational, if you think about it. Because if, if Christ is in fact God, the Creator of all things is with us, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if that is true, then anything short of a life of worship of Him just doesn't make a lot of sense. If I understand who God is, why would I ever conclude that I know more about how to run my life than the Creator of the world? Why? It's irrational, isn't it? 
So know that He wants to draw near to you as you draw near to Him. Seek to know Him and learn to trust Him. Place your life into His hands and let Him guide you. And know that He understands and knows the way. Which brings me to the last point. If He is God and He is with us, then nothing in your life is outside His power to redeem. If He is God and He is with us, then nothing in your life is outside His power to redeem. No addiction, no marriage crisis, no financial crisis, no sin in your life is too big for Him to redeem. If, in fact, you believe and trust that He is who He says He is, the great and promised Deliverer, our Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ. Take off the limitations that you've placed on Him because nothing is outside His power to redeem. He is God. Think in God-sized terms. For your life personally, for our life corporately as a church, and for that testimony in a world filled with uncertainty. Seek to know Him. Learn to trust Him. Believe in His redemptive power. Jesus Christ is our Emmanuel. God with us. He will and has delivered us. Praise His name. Father, I'm grateful for the promise that's been fulfilled. You have given us that evidence through the person and work of Jesus Christ that you are faithful, that you never leave us or forsake us, that you are our deliverer, God with us, and that mystery that has now been revealed to us miraculously, Christ in us, the hope of glory. May we live with that assurance in the times of uncertainty, allowing the light of Christ to shine in and through our life, redeeming us beyond those limitations that so easily entangle us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we trust in you as our deliverer, our redeemer, and hope in the great expectation that there is a day yet future when that promise is ultimately and completely fulfilled, when Jesus Christ returns and raptures His church to be with Him and then establishes His kingdom on earth and makes a new earth, a new heaven, where we live with Him for all eternity. That is a promise made in the beginning, fulfilled through Christ, and ultimately fulfilled when He returns. That is our hope. You are our deliverer. And we do put our trust in you. It is in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, that we pray. Amen.